This is Billionaires in Boxes, an award-winning podcast and TV publicist for businesses. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia. Uh, today, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Jordan. Uh, Dr. Tim is also the host of the Raising Daughters podcast, uh, a behavioral pediatrician. So I have to be on my best behavior, although I'm not a child anymore. My wife may possibly disagree with that. Um, but uh, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun, you and I. I mean, as uh, as I mentioned, you you specialize in in um, raising daughters, and I, and I have two young children, to both of them girls. So this is going to be a very uh, very interesting discussion and, and conversation for me as well. So, but to begin with, for our audience who haven't come across you before, you know, how would you describe your work and, and what it is that you do? Well, I'm kind of an, an anomaly because I'm a pediatrician by my original background like a doctor pediatrician, but I did a two-year fellowship in something called developmental and behavioral pediatrics, which can mean a lot of things. But what it meant for me was after practicing medicine for a few years, I decided to do that. So I've been functioning as a counselor for about 30 years, wow. seeing kids one at one at a, you know, for an hour in my office. And but my wife and I have developed a whole bunch of things. We taught parenting classes for 20 years. This summer is our 30th summer of having summer camps for girls. Wow. We run weekend retreats for girls during the school year. I, we have some school programs uh, working with classrooms of girls uh, in, in schools. I do a lot of writing. I've written six books. I've got my podcast. I write blogs. We travel a lot. We've been to 18 countries giving talks to parents. And so I do a lot of different things, which is how I like it. Yeah, I like the sound of that. And I was just looking at your profile early before we jumped on the call and uh, noticed that this course you're talking about, the Developmental Behavioral uh, Pediatrician Program, was actually at Harvard Medical School. So that, uh, I think most people will have heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. That was my, that was my last stop <laughs> before they kicked me off to get a real job. Oh, bless you. No, I love it though. So well, before we kind of dive into it, more, more out of curiosity than anything else, you know, what was it about that that program then that really kind of was an eye opener for you and made you think, you know what, that's that's where I want to spend my time and and, and invest my career? You know, I, I was always interested through my training in uh, development and normal development. I, I I have a whole line of experiences since I was a kid working with kids. I, I umpired core league baseball. I worked in summer camps when I was a kid for, I think, four or five summers. I babysat. I did a lot of things with kids. So I always knew I was going to work with kids. I just didn't know how. I thought for a while I was going to be a teacher. And I thought maybe a pediatrician. But what I liked about the developmental and behavioral pediatrics was I, I liked spending that kind of like an hour of time with people. In my pediatric practice, it was like, you know, seeing you know, one kid every 10 to 10 minutes. And then there was call at nighttime. And I really wanted more flexibility in my schedule. And that I'm, I'm old enough that back then we had no phones. We had beepers. And right. I got really tired of the beeper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. And actually, I can understand that as well. I mean, it, it must be uh, it must be frustrating for MDs on every level, I guess, uh, when it comes to, you know, over here we call them general practitioners and our, and our GPs over here. You know, I think I was, I was chatting to one, would have been a while ago now, maybe 18 months ago. And uh, we were in there with my daughter and we were talking about something. And um, she said, yeah, this is going to take a little bit longer than they'd like, but I think it's important that we have the conversation. And I jokingly said, well, how long would they like? And she said, we're told that our appointments should be no more than seven and a half minutes long. And I'm thinking, how can oh. you do anything in seven and a half minutes? 
Like, you sit down, how are you? Great, tell me about your symptoms. Great, here's your prescription. Quick, get out, and don't let the next person bump into you on the way in kind of thing. Not only what can you do in seven minutes, but also what can you enjoy in seven minutes? It takes the joy out of it. That's very true. Well, there is no joy in that, is there? No, not if you're rushing people through and you're, you know, you got to see so many patients. So I'm, I'm glad I, I switched a long time ago. Oh, good, good. I like it. Um, so that was 30 odd years ago. Um, talk to me about the summer camps as well, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious kind of how you, you get involved in that. So when, when, you, when you say summer camp, I think things like Camp America. Um, is that the kind of thing we're talking about? Or are we talking kind of whole family retreats here? I mean, what are, what are we referring no, to? It's, it's just girls. But, you know, 30-something 30, 30 years ago, my wife and I did a weekend retreat for ourselves, like a personal growth kind of retreat. And it was awesome. I'd, I'd never done that. I went to high school, college, medical school, residency, fellowship, and got plopped out when I was in my early 30s. had never taken time to kind of figure out, what, you know, what do I want? Who am I? And all those kinds of things. And so we end up doing a two-year process, training process, to be able to teach those retreats. And those were, those were for adults. And they were awesome. I learned so much. But what I realized after teaching those retreats for, for a while was most of the issues adults were talking about at the age of 25, 35, 60 were things that had their roots when they were kids. Oh, really? Things that had happened. Well, just, you know, stuff. Life happens, right? Whether it's yeah. been uh, losing your friends or maybe a loss in the family or your parents went through a divorce or, you know, life was hard. You know, adversity. We, you know, so many people go through adversities growing up, but they don't get a chance to take the time to kind of process through what does this mean about me? What's, it, what, what's this going to mean about my life? And so we just tend to take oftentimes some unhealthy beliefs about ourselves and life and relationships with us when we become adults. And so I thought, why are we waiting until people are 50 to work on this stuff? Why don't we, why don't we help kids you know, work through their adversities when they're going through the adversities and with each other, you know, with their peers, which is really powerful. Yeah, I can believe that. Actually, I, that actually makes a whole lot of sense because I think, you know, when you're when you're growing up and you are going through these things, it's very easy to believe that you're the only person in the world that's feeling this, right? That uh, you're completely alone, which actually makes it even harder to talk about because, you know, I, I mean, we, you and I are fortunate enough that we grew up in the age without the internet, right? Whereas, you know, uh, and, I, and I say fortunate enough because the internet has brought some wonderful things, but you know, if I wanted to know where my friends were, I, I cycled around the neighborhood to look who, where all the bicycles were on somebody's front ground, you know, front lawn. That was how I found where my friends were. I didn't WhatsApp them. Um, and I also kind of didn't have to put up with, you know, the, I remember the first day of school actually, and here's the first day back after the big summer holidays was always the worst time for me. Um, and it was the worst time for me, uh, because, um, I grew up in a, in a, in a low income family where we didn't, you know, holidays weren't really an option. That wasn't a thing for us. And the first day back, we always had to write a story about, you know, what, what, what did you do over the summer? And there's always kids going, yeah, you know, we spent three weeks in Disneyland in Florida and I'm, you know, we rented a yacht and, and we went on a cruise and I'm thinking I did, I played you know, I threw rocks at my friend for a few weeks and then, you know, <laughs> fixed my bike chain. That was pretty good. Um, but I, I always used to detest that day. It's my least favorite day of the school year. And I feel really sorry for kids now because with this Instagram lifestyle, that's that's every day that's completely surrounded them. My life's better than yours. Just look on social media. Which is why, in my experience, Parents ask me all the time, well, when should I let my daughter have a phone? When should I let my daughter be on social media? And I don't give them an exact age because I don't believe in a formula. But I can tell you with 
from a lot of experience in talking with girls, especially in circles on the, on the, on the carpet on our retreats and camps where they get real. What I can tell you is they're not ready for that kind of thing until they're at least in high school with a good track record for, of being mature, responsible, uh, making good decisions, not being impulsive, being able to handle their friendship dramas. If they don't have a good background of that, uh, then they're going to get caught up in that stuff. I don't think that social media stuff causes a lot of that, but it certainly amplifies it and makes it for sure. bigger and everybody. So they've, they've got to have a certain level of maturity. And I don't think most girls have that until they're at least in high school. And yet I see a lot of girls these days who are like 10, 11, 12, and they're suffering and they're, you know, crying and they, and they don't know how to handle it when they see their friends at a sleepover and they weren't invited. So I, I tell the parents, you know, she's just not ready. It's not a bad thing. It just means, you know, those, those things aren't meant for people who are 12. No, absolutely not. And that's really tough. I mean, I, I often, I think about this with my, with my daughters. Now, my daughters are homeschooled, so they get to avoid certain things that are happening, if I'm completely honest. But, you know, I often, I remember back to, you know, when I was young and, you know, boys would almost seem to, when there was a problem, you'd you'd fight and then two days later after you punch someone in the face you were best friends again right or you bring out like a soccer ball and say right now we're friends again because we're going to go and have a kick about whereas it seems more complex with girls or is that am, am i just am i oversimplifying that but it always seems like girls seem to hold on to things for much longer like i remember thinking back to school and i give you a great example there were two girls that had a fight when they were 10 and it was an argument fight not a physical fight when they were 10 and then they were both in the same class when they were 16 and they both still detested each other six years later from that incident that happened when they were 10. Like, you don't really, can boys not hold a grudge that well? I mean, what, what's that about? Well, our brains are much more simple. <laughs> well, girls, if the female brain is wired to ruminate, to chew on right. thoughts, overthink, overanalyze. And, and and boys, men can do that too, but girls are wired more for that. And there's a lot of reasons which we probably don't have time to get into, but because of that, when they they see something, they make a lot of assumptions. Like they see a picture of their uh, on Instagram of their two friends at a sleepover and they weren't invited. So they take that picture and they go, oh, I wonder why I wasn't invited. Oh, I wonder if they're becoming better friends. Maybe, they, what did I do wrong? What if they don't like me anymore? And oh, if I, what happens when I go to school? Am I going to be at, the, at their lunch table? Am I, so they go from a picture on Instagram to I'm this lonely loser with no friends. And that is wow. not an exaggeration at all they, mm. they they ruminate and they always ruminate worst case and i think that's yeah, one okay. of the reasons why and a lot of the times I, we go to school sometimes uh, we have a school program where we sit with a classroom of girls and we talk about stuff and especially in the private schools where where it's smaller and the same kids have been with each other sometimes for five six you know seven years we, we teach them skills to resolve conflicts peacefully and directly which they have a really hard time with and then we'll say who wants to you know do one a real one we always have gotten a volunteer. We help them work through. They talk. They listen to each other. And 99 times out of 100, it was something like you described that happened like three years ago. And yeah. almost always, it was a misunderstanding. Mm. And so because they ruminated worst case, that girl now is upset. So then she avoids her two friends at school. So then they see that. They go, oh, I guess she doesn't want to be our friend. And so this, they have this dance that goes on for no reason. That's, and that's why I think that's one of the reasons why I think that they they do hold on to things. That's interesting. I'm curious. I mean, 30 years in your profession is a long time, right? So, what what are the? I'm curious to know what the kind of the similarities are that you see from children of those age groups from sort of 
when you first started your work to now, and also as, as in similarities in, in challenges that they face. But also, what's kind of become more? What have you seen kind of progress and almost you look at them? I mean, we think about social media, for example. Has that really kind of brought on more sort of increased anxiety opportunities, depression? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always keen for that sort of time snapshot to say, you know, 30 years to now, what what what's the still the same and what's what's new well my experience would tell me but it's also backed up by a lot of research it would say that the levels of anxiety and depression have gone way up the levels of suicidal thoughts the levels of suicide have gone up in the last 20 to 30 years especially in the last 10 years and um and I, I don't, you know, sometimes people say, well, that's when the internet started and that's when social media started. So, and then they make a one-to-one cause and effect, but I don't think we can do that exactly. But I can tell you for sure in my counseling practice, even in my retreats, I think one of the differences I've noticed is that girls are a lot more stressed and there's a lot more pressure on them uh, just in, in, in general. And I think then it starts leaking out as other things. When girls come in my office, uh, and they've, they may have been diagnosed with anxiety disorder or depression or something. What I find almost always, not always, but almost always is they don't really deserve a disorder diagnosis. What happens is life happens to them. Like uh, two of their friends rolled their eyes at them this morning at school. They got a bad grade in a test. Their teacher was disrespectful. Their mom yelled at them about their room. You know, things happen that causes them to feel upset, angry, hurt, whatever, but in this day and age, it's so easy to not feel those things and express them because we just get busy. Mm. And we keep our kids pretty busy in these days, I think, in general. And there's so many distractions. It's so easy to distract yourself. And so it's easy to kind of push things down and not go there and not think about it and not feel it. And it works, quote unquote. You can't see many mm. people listening. It works, but it doesn't work because things are still there. Feelings are still there. They build up to the point where they get on overload. A lot of girls who I see these days get those overwhelmed times. And then it's got to go someplace and it leaks out as things like stomach aches or headaches, having a hard time falling asleep, uh, snapping at people who don't deserve it, anxiety, feeling blah, feeling depressed, f- being distracted. There's, those are symptoms to me of overload. And so I, I help girls to, to understand that and then to find some ways to kind of let go of those things along the way so they don't build up. A lot of times their, their anxiety, most of the time their anxiety gets a lot better. They don't need medication often. They don't need a diagnosis. They just need some tools. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really fair comment and, and something that, uh, in my opinion, has been happening for a very, very long time. I mean, I, I, as an adult, I look back on certain situations from my childhood and feel very similar about those things. So, um, you know, I'll give you. I'll give you a, a personal example. Uh, I was raised by uh, my grandmother until I was ten, eleven. Um, this woman was literally my hero, my best friend, and then she she passed away. And she had a stroke, and then she developed motor neurone disease. Now, motor neurone disease is is for anybody that doesn't know is a. I think it's one of the most evil diseases on the planet. You 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 your brain function remains intact, and you lose all your physical functions, including the ability to move, the ability to speak, the ability to feed yourself. So, you're almost trapped inside this body that you could do nothing with until eventually your organs stop working. And uh, and it was horrific to watch this. And and I I was I was in a really bad place. I mean, I was you know just around that that uh, 
the puberty age. Uh, I had all those changes happening. I was very hormonal. I just lost the one person in the world that meant the most to me. And uh, I remember you know, being taken to the doctors and they're saying, you know, he's struggling with sleeping. He's got this going on. He's having panic attacks and all this kind of stuff. And they diagnosed me with all sorts in kind of like an anxiety disorder, depression. And now I look back at that as, a, as an adult, I think, well, I don't think those labels were helpful. And I also don't think the medication was helpful. I think trying to medicate me instead of actually saying that everything you're feeling right now is a perfectly normal reaction to having just been through something really horrific, you know, giving me coping mechanisms to deal with it rather than trying to give me medication to make me feel more numb towards the situation would have been far more helpful. Um, and, and part of me wonders whether that's going back to that whole, I mean, I don't think it was seven and a half minutes then, but if that goes back to that whole seven and a half minutes, right? It's like, well, I can't help him. I'm giving coping mechanisms in seven and a half minutes, but I can give him yeah. antidepressant medication. Write a script, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a great quote. Can I read it to you? Of course. It's by uh, a man named Haruki Murakami. But it goes like this. And once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through how you manage to survive. But one thing is certain. When you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what this storm is all about. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, So, so I, true, isn't it? Yeah, most kids go through d d adversities of different kinds. Like that was your, one of your adversities. It can be about loss. It can be about having a sibling who has autism. It can be about going through a divorce. It can be about all kinds of things. And what they need is uh, to be able to talk about it and help have somebody help them to make better sense of it. Because like, for instance, if a girl has uh, a group of friends and then the, the friends betray her and then they turn their back on her and they exclude her, what they do is they go inside their heads and they start asking themselves questions like, why is this happening? Why aren't my friends calling me? My parents got divorced. My dad, is, dad doesn't call me anymore. Why isn't my dad calling me? And so they answer the questions in their head with their own private logic, if you will. And almost always it's not the truth because they start mm -hmm. to think things like maybe it's because I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not pretty enough. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm annoying. Maybe I don't fit. Uh, maybe I'm not lovable. Maybe I'm not important. I'm not as important as my dad's new family. Therefore, I'm not important. And so that's the worst thing that happens with the adversities isn't what happens. It's what they make of it. And, and if they don't have some help to kind of work through that to, to make better sense of it. I do exercises at my retreats and camps where girls can work through things that they've been through and make better sense of it because I let them know you're not in charge of what happens to you often, but you're definitely in charge of your story and what you make of it. And that's a huge piece for all of us, to, you know, to make sure that we're in charge of some of those stories we've been through. Tim, I'm quite an emotional guy anyway, but like hearing that there are genuinely people walking around, there are young girls walking around thinking those things about themselves and about their life is absolutely heartbreaking to hear. That's so I, sad. I would say probably most of them because again, they things happen and they don't, they don't uh, like for instance, the, the friend thing, they may see their friends at a sleepover and they think, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, I, I teach girls, if you're feeling that, you know, express it, but then Go to them and say, hey, are we okay? I noticed you guys were at a sleepover didn't invite me. And they would probably say, oh, we just had a soccer game. and we, It was like a spontaneous thing. We just came to my house. And uh, and now this girl has been brooding for six years. <laughs> it was just that. And so a lot of times they can you know, kind of 
cut off from the past, you know, things like that. But those feelings about, you know, if somebody doesn't call or if your if their parent doesn't call, things like that, they need to they need to help help to reframe what happened to make sure they don't make it about them in a negative way. That's a huge piece because those become belief systems and those belief systems will affect everything that they do. It'll affect their future relationships. It'll affect how they walk into the school building. Hmm. Well, and actually it, it, it seems like that this continues sort of as they get a little bit older as well. Cause I was reading through your work that, you know, even things like making college application decisions and deciding, you know, what, what are you going to do with your career? And, you know, I always thought it was, a uh, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but we have this thing in, in like year nine in the UK, which I think is like 15 years old. And at 15 years old, you have to select what they call your options. And your options are where you now start to kind of niche down in terms of what it is you're going to learn. And I remember being told really clearly, you know, make this decision wisely because this affects <laughs> the rest of your life. But it's like, I don't want to, like, what am I supposed to do at 15? Like, I don't want to know what I want to do at 40. Like, what a crazy, I don't, I don't want what I'm doing tomorrow. You're asking me what I'm going to do in 20 years time. I'm throwing rocks at my friend and you're asking me to, to plot out yeah. my whole life. <laughs> like, well, but you know, we don't have, we don't have that system, but we have maybe even a, well, I'm not sure if it's worse. We have a similar issue, which is that um, girl, I, I was with a group of third, fourth and fifth grade girls. We had a retreat about two weekends ago. It was a weekend okay. camp. What's, what's, we were, what you know, age is sort of fifth grade? Fifth grade would probably be uh, 11, okay. you know, 10, 10, 11. Yeah, okay. um, something like that. And so we were doing some of our circle time where we're talking, you know, we do exercises to kind of stir them up, but they were talking about how stressed they were. And so we asked them, how many of you sometimes feel stressed? And they all raised their hand. There were 20 girls there. They all raised their hand. So how many of you, how many of you get anxious? They all raised their hands. We said, what are you so stressed and anxious about? And guess what their answer was? These are third, fourth, and fifth graders. Guess what their answer was? I don't know. Like, um, well, I think I, I really don't know. Well, a lot of people would say, well, middle school, middle school is coming up or maybe high school. Okay. Get it ready for the change. Here, But that was not what they say. And I've heard this a lot in the last five years, especially what they're most stressed and worried about is college and their future. Wow. Already? Yes. Because our system and maybe your system puts a lot of pressure like you should know and you should get straight A's. There's this one very narrow path yeah. that we're, we're squishing kids on, which is you do great in school. You have to be a, a A plus generalist, right? Do good in everything. And if you get straight A's, then you can get to the, the university of your choice. And in, in, in our country here, I ask parents, you know, what, what about after high school? They'll say, well, they don't say go to university. They say top college, elite college. That, that's like the, the new standard. And, you know, why do you want your kids to go to a top college to get good grades? Well, I want them to get a good job. Why do you want them to get a good job? So they can make a lot of money. Right. When I ask that line of questions to high school seniors or girls in high school, they say the exact same thing. Mm. Their whole life is, you know, pressed into, you know, A's, top college, top job, make a lot of money. And, you know, a lot of people, don't, that's not their path, right? No. But they're all being squished onto that. So I think there's this pressure like you should know your future. When I, when I see girls in my office who are in high school, I, I oftentimes ask them, well, what are you going to do after you graduate from high school? And many of them will look at me like I'm an idiot. Like, like I'm going to college. Like you, <laughs> you know, and seriously. And I'm like, oh, I act dumb. I'm like, well, why do you want to go to college? And it's fascinating because I get one of two answers, 
typically? One answer is what I just said. Well, I want to get a good job and make a lot of money. Blah, blah, blah. And the other answer is, uh, 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 I don't, and they have no answer. Because they've never sat down and said, do I want to go to college? And if so, why do I want to go to college? And this is true for girls a lot, maybe guys too, but for girls for sure, they make too many decisions in their life based upon not wanting to disappoint people, not wanting to piss people off, not wanting people to be angry, not wanting to stand up or stand out. And so their whole lives up till then has oftentimes been about doing things for other people. And they haven't really taken the time to think about what do I want and what's right for me. And in our culture, I think it's true for yours because I've done some retreats in Europe the last... Oh, uh, we're very like, similar to the U.S. Yeah, so it's very similar, yeah. right? But and so these kids are trying to make decisions, and what I tell them is, every time you bump into into an adult, ask them their story. Ask them when you were my age, when you were fifteen, when you were seventeen, did you know what you were going to be doing, what you're doing right now at the age of forty or fifty or sixty? I tell them, I guarantee you, unless maybe they're a teacher, they they had that's not true. They did not know. And most people didn't go from here I am at 18 to zoop, straight line to where I'm at at age 50. They zigzag a lot. Mm. And then well, they, I did they another kind of, one into there as well. Like how many of you like as adults actually use your college degree, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. There's so many of us that even went and got that degree and it's completely useless. We don't use, I'm a, I'm a qualified surveyor. Um, so I'm a Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors Valuation Surveyor. Do you have any idea how often I use that? Like, no. In fact, I spent two years, literally, and I swear to God, and anybody who's ever worked in valuation will be laughing at this. I spent two years learning Parry's valuation table, which was all kind of these complex measurements as to how you get you know, return on investment and all this kind of stuff. It's an app now, dude. And it's not even like a paid app. It's a free app, right? You put these <laughs> numbers in and it gives it to you. I don't need these four pages of calculations to do this anymore. The app does it for me. Um, so I, I am f I'm fully with you. That pressure to know when you, is a lot of stress on kids. Yeah, absolutely. And the pressure to get straight A's and the pressure to know what, what college and what's your major and what's your career going to be. That's a lot of pressure that doesn't need to be there because it's just not true. It just It's not true in the real world because most adults didn't know. And it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know. I, I developed a thing called my dot theory. I'm not sure if we talked about it ever before, but my dot so. theory is – did you ever, when you were a kid, do one of those connect the dot drawings? Yeah, yeah. Like you see a page that had a bunch of dots and they were numbered, right? Numbers, yeah. So when you looked at when you looked at the page, you'd say, "What is that?" I, I don't know. I have no idea. So you start connecting dots: one, two, three, four, five. And if, after a while, you'd connect enough dots where a picture would start to emerge. And when you're all done, oh, it's a clown, or oh, it's a Christmas tree, or oh, it's a whatever. And so I tell kids this: that's a good metaphor for your your life, your purpose, your calling. And that your job is not to know the final picture. Your job is not even to connect dots. And dots to me are experiences that cross your path, that you feel, draw that you feel drawn to for whatever reason. Seems like fun. I don't know. I have an interest in that. I just have this urge to do it. So I tell them, follow those urges, follow your heart, and do that dot, that experience. And then another dot comes along, follow your heart. And what happens is you accumulate dots, and eventually those experiences connect for you. You don't need to force it. I tell them, relax, experience dots, be open to dots, trust, that the, trust in the process of life. And I tell them, if you don't believe me, read biographies, interview adults, because that's what you're going to hear is people's dot drawings.
Yeah, yeah, and it's so true, isn't it? I mean, how many how many grown adults would describe their their dot picture, if you will, as you know, up until a certain point, it just felt random, and now it all makes sense, right? And I had all these experiences, and I had these these different aspects. I mean, I had it. I mean, I had these things in my life that I was passionate about, and then I things that that, that I did for work. And then about five or six years ago, those two things merged together and I've never been happier or more successful. But even prior to that point, even prior to seeing that those two things could be connected together, they felt like completely separate random things that were happening in my life. And quite clearly, as far as the universe, God, whatever was concerned, they were going to merge together when the time was right to do so. But you can't see that. You know what I mean? Like you can't see it until you're there. And you don't need to see it. That's no, what I tell you. Don't. You don't need to know it or see it. Just trust. I said, and I, you know, and those those drawings will connect for you. And I think that that's hard for them because everybody else is telling them the opposite. Their parents, the system, the educational system, their school counselors, the college admissions process—all that's saying something totally different. So they have to swim upstream a bit in order to kind yeah, of find their find their own path and to be able to trust. Now it helps, I think, if all along the way, like your daughters are younger, they're not in high school and all that, right? No, I no. think one, one of the things you can do to start preparing them to be thinking for themselves is all along the way, ask them why they like doing what they're doing. So if you have a little kid who likes to, to draw or color, you say, what do you like about coloring? And you listen and then they'll tell you. Like if, if you would look at, like they would come to you with the drawing, daddy, do you like my drawing? And you'd say, oh, honey, it's beautiful. Look, you colored into lines. You're doing so much better with that. But if you ask them, what do you like about it? They would say, I like that I use so many colors. I made her hair purple. And they'll tell you why they love to draw. So you listen and you just mirror that back. They internalize that. That's their intrinsic motivation. Their intrinsic good feelings about why they like to color or play soccer or Whatever that is that they're into, are doing arts and crafts. I would ask, what, what do you like about that? I, I was at a father-daughter retreat. My wife and I were teaching in Canada about two years ago, and these were seven, eight, nine-year-old girls with their daddies, and there was about thirty pairs. And anyway, we were talking about this concept with the dads, and their daughters came in, and this one little girl was sitting in her dad's lap, right in the front row. So I said to her, I said, "What do you What do you do in life that you like the most? What's your most fun thing?" And she said, "I love to dance." I said, oh, why do you like to dance? She said, well, you know, when you first start out, I'm out there kind of dancing. They tell you what to do. But once I get going, I make up my own dance routines. I'm out there just kind of doing it. She, and she, then she stopped. She said, I love to be in control. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I swear it. to God. And her dad's sitting behind her going, I've never heard this before. <laughs> but, I love that. But, so that's saying something about her. Yeah. Right. Doesn't mean she's going to be a dancer, but there's some things that that you will learn. They will learn about themselves. I tell young people, everything that you do in life is pre-vocational in some way because you learn something. You may have some crummy job or maybe with your surveying job, but you learn something. You may learn a skill. You learn what you like, what you don't like, what you're passionate about, what your aptitude is for certain things. Um, so again, it's it's about kind of trusting. But as parents, all along the way, we can keep asking them, you know, why? I ask kids all the time, what kind of grades do you want to get in school? And again, they look at me like I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> well, A's. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, why do you want to get A's? And again, most of them stutter until until because they they're doing it for other people. Of course. So well, it's the. 
it's the way the system's designed, right? And and yeah. that that's the sad thing about it. And, and you know what I wish you, I could do? I mean, that that's great advice. And I'm actually, I was literally just thinking, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to do that with my, my two children after this uh, exercise, uh, after this podcast recording, because I'm fascinated to hear their answers because they, they do love to do certain things. And I don't, I don't believe I've ever asked them why they love to do those things. Um, so I'm definitely going to implement that. So thank you for that. But actually, the two of the things that kind of came to mind as you were you were speaking were sort of firstly was about the education system. Um, so as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, uh, I am now, I wasn't aware of this before, but now I am very much aware that nobody will ever pay me as highly as I pay myself, <laughs> right? That's the That's the truth of the matter, okay? But the education system, as you said, kind of requires you to be a straight A student across the board, like a straight A generalist. And that's not how business is done. You burn out if you try and do that. You know, in business, it's more of a team sport, a, a collective. It's a collaboration. It's a, I'm really good at this bit and this bit. So I'm going to partner with people who are equally as good at their bit. I mean, could you imagine how different your school report would look if you could compete in teams? Listen, you take maths and science because you're really good at that. I'm going to take technology. You go and do dance and drama and music because I suck at those bits and you're really good at them. And we'll just get A across the board as a collective. But that's how business works. Yeah, absolutely. And so it would mean, in essence, blowing up the system kind of yeah. sort of. <laughs> well, because for a long time, it was a, it was a factory model, right? You sit down, you yeah. shut up. And when the bell rings, you move and you everybody does the same thing. They want people to conform and because they were preparing people to work in a factory. Mm -hmm. Not to be an entrepreneur, if you will. But I think you so know, if all along the way, kids have autonomy in choosing what they do. That helps. Because if you're choosing your activity because you have an interest in it, you're much more likely, number one, to enjoy it. But you also probably put more of yourself into it. And when it gets a little hard and there's challenges, you're much more likely to push through because it was your choice as opposed to being made to do it. And then the biggest payoff is at the end, if you're successful, whatever that means, it's your success. It's your touchdown dance. You own it. And you thus, you're much more fulfilled. So if we let our kids along the way choose things and try things for a while, after a while, they're like, I eh, don't want to do it. It's okay. They learn to be less risk aversive. Because as an entrepreneur, you have to have, I mean, entrepreneurs aren't people who take just wild risks. I think I've read lots of things about that. But, but you do have to take some risks and you may have to think outside the box and be a creative thinker. So I think all along the way, we can prepare our kids to, to think more in that way by having them solve their own problems and and pick their own activities and and you know things like that. It's funny that you talk about risk being risk averse or, or, or kind of run towards risk because I remember when I first left my corporate job, I was board level for a large real estate company, uh, had the whole works, you know, company car, nice salary, all of it. And I remember everybody saying things like, aren't you scared? It's so risky, like walking away from that salary. And I remember thinking like, Actually, I completely disagree with you. And I don't know whether I'm just on a completely different planet here, but if you have that one job with that one company and that one salary coming in and they go bust, not only does my salary gone, I'm now competing for a job alongside four or 5,000 people in the same area at the same time doing the same thing. There's risk, right? But if you're an entrepreneur and you've got 10 clients and you lose one of them, well, it's fine. You just go and get another one, right? You can even lose half of them in one go and you're still going to be okay. Um, so, But it's, it's interesting. I, I wish that we could kind of take so many of, of 
girls, girls especially, but girls and boys, right? And, and we could introduce them to these people who are now grown adults coming towards either the middle stage or the end of their career. They are what society would deem as quote-unquote successful people, and they're absolutely miserable because they're doing a job that they hate, right? They became an accountant because their mother or father told them to. You know, they went into technology because it's where all the money was, (laughs) and they hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know, and those people can maybe talk about why they made those choices. I see a lot of young people today, and I say young people, I mean people who are like 18, 22. They are deathly afraid of settling because a lot of them have looked at their parents and their friends' parents and their aunts and uncles who, quote unquote, settled into that job, that accounting job you're talking about because it was safe and because, you know, it paid well or whatever. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be an accountant, but what I'm saying though is if you if people make choices based upon it's safe and you know and not wanting to take a risk and they're not listening to what do I want to do and what are my passions and my interests, that's what young people are afraid of. They're afraid they're going to end up like their parents, who they see as being unhappy in their jobs. And there's lots of data that shows that the majority of people are unhappy in their jobs. They're not very fulfilling and things like that. So that, again, it pays, It pay, that's why that dot theory of mine, I think will help guide them towards just be open to the experiences one at a time. And you will end up where you want to end up. Mm. Well, the, 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 gen, the, the environment as well that our parents grew up in, it, I don't even think it exists anymore. You know, I mean, I call it the industrial revolution mindset, right? You go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, then you move to the city, you work with a big company, you work your way up for 40 years, you get your pension and off you go. That doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, even if you wanted to go and get that job for the next 40, 50 years in one company, like, do you have any idea how rare that is these days? Um, so it, it is going to require a different way of thinking. And, and I love, I love the dot theory. I think that makes a whole lot of sense in terms of just, you know, collect the experiences and see where it takes you, but the, you don't have to know, you're not even supposed to know you know, where it's going to lead up, but just do the things that feel right. I talk a lot about feelings and using intuition a lot in, in my own business. I don't make very many logical decisions, which coming from a surveying background is, is, is a bit strange, but yeah, you know, if I, if I if it doesn't feel right, I won't do it, and and I I genuinely love the people I work with as a result of that. What that means, though, for your daughters and all of our daughters, and I guess sons too, what it means is they have to be able to get quiet and check in with themselves and say, you know, what's what am I feeling right now? What do I need? What's they need to have an inner world and be inner directed, and you can't do that if you're not used to being alone and quiet. And in this day and age. It's so hard for most of the girls who I work with to be alone and quiet. It's like it's like a death, right? They're so used right. to being busy and distracted and ping, ping, ping and all that. So they need to learn to cultivate alone time to to reflect and to soul search and to figure out what's right for me. And I think a lot of girls lack that. It's hard to trust your intuition and follow your gut if you're not in tune with your intuition and your gut. Yeah, it's very true. I have a I have a question because we're actually getting towards the end of the podcast, but I'm desperate to ask this question because when I was doing some research ahead of this in terms of what's the most sort of commonly Googled questions and things by parents, particularly of teenage daughters in particular, it was things like how do I remain an influence or how do I re- retain some control over my daughter's life? And actually from everything we've just discussed, maybe that's not even the best thing. Maybe it's more about empowering them to be the the good influence in their own lives. 
Yes, I would say that. But I also think it's good for us to be an influence because kids need us. They need a they need adult guidance. around them to, to, and they need some guidance along the way. I, it's interesting. I have a lot of parents in my counseling practice who will come in and they're butting heads with their daughter and there's fighting and arguing. And they'll say to me these exact words, the only leverage I have with her is her phone. <laughs> I, I, I.e. threatening to take it away or whatever. And I tell them, if that's your leverage, you're in huge trouble. Because your leverage should be your relationship. Um, I, call, I call it your goodwill account. How much goodwill is there in your relationship with your daughter? And if you've been making a lot of deposits by being a good listener and by having having time with her and being respectful and you know things like that, and your account is pretty full, then they're much more likely to come to you when they're when they're stuck or when they need to bounce something off of you. If you've been making a lot of depo- uh, excuse me withdrawals by yelling, being disrespectful, not being around, not being present when you're there, et cetera, and the account's low, then you have less, I don't even like the word leverage, but then there's less, much less of a chance for you to be an influence because the relationship doesn't have that level of respect and trust and, and love. Mm. Oh, you've given me so much food for thought. And actually, I'm glad we haven't got this conversation now and not in 10 years' time because there's already things I'm going to change. Um, I, I I love it. You you've given me lots and lots of food for thought, and the same for everybody else. Who who is it that you would like to hear from? I mean, we'll go through kind of how people can get in touch and things, but you know, who who is it that you would like to kind of hear from? Is it that kind of one on one individual work? Because you mentioned a few things here. You've mentioned the kind of one on one stuff in your office. You've mentioned the retreats, and you've obviously mentioned the work that you do with schools as well. So, who is it that you would like to hear from? I guess um, because you, you, you're in Britain, right? You're in the UK. I guess, you know, one of the things that I love to do is I love to, to give talks to parents. And so corporations hire us. There's uh, businesses hire us. Uh, school systems hire us, me, my wife and I, to come and give talks, to talk about things like this. Also, I guess uh, people who, who like podcasts like your podcast, my, I think my podcast is valuable. I can get people from all over the place who, who send me notes saying, hey, I, I love your podcast and things like love that. It. But, but also because, not just because of COVID, but also because of distance, my wife and I created an online course for, for uh, it's called Parenting Girls, the challenges girls face today with their feelings and their friends and what they need. Because I did some surveys and the, there's the top three things that parents are most worried about with their daughters were their emotional life, all the friendship drama and stuff. And then the third one was social media. I'm almost done creating that online course. But the one I did, the one I did already was about feelings and friends. So that might be something that, that your, your parents can – I'll send you the link and you can put it on your show notes. They can click on there and sign up and, and you can obviously take it uh, – you do the course anywhere. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of information that I've, and lots of tools and things that people can do. Like you said before, I can, I can go downstairs and use this. They can, use, they can do the course and walk right downstairs and, and apply, the, apply the tools. I love it. And what kind of age demographic of the of the daughters are we talking about? From from what what age to what age? I would say uh, grade grade school through through high school probably for that course. Yeah. Um, although it's interesting, a lot of my my counseling practice now is becoming women in college more and more because they're they're still they're stressed out and they're anxious and they're having a hard time with with these decisions. That's no that's another audience I could maybe tap into because it doesn't matter where, where you live is I'm, I'm I'm counseling and coaching more like 18 to 22 year olds who are wow. really struggling with kind of finding their footing. 
I'll I'll have to introduce you to a few people then. I mean, it seems weird that we're doing this on a podcast, but whilst it's still fresh in my mind, um, I have a number of clients in the ed tech and education and university space globally. They're, they're doing a lot more. Um, one of the things that universities will tell you when you speak to them is they're not very good at collaborating, right? They're, they're very good at kind of looking at themselves, but not really talking to other people. And one of the things that COVID has kind of caused is that they've realized, well, if we're talking to our students wherever they're at, we can also talk to lecturers and other professors and other academics wherever they're at. And maybe we could do joint projects together and uh, we can apply for joint funding for a particular research program and all this kind of stuff. So I'll gladly introduce you to them as well. But I, I would just highly recommend anybody that, that has daughters within that age group really come and check out your work. Definitely check out your podcast, Raising Daughters. Um, but in the show notes below, in fact, if you go and click on the show notes now, you'll see the links there uh, for Dr. Tim and all of his stuff, including his course. Um, we'll also put a link in there for you to uh, arrange a call with him or one of his team if you want to have more of a kind of a one-on-one -on -one conversation outside of that uh, that course. Maybe it's to, to book a speaking opportunity or maybe it's even just for you and your family to, to have that discussion uh, more one-on-one -on -one and exclusively. I would highly recommend that you do that. And yeah, you know, it's... Um, I think I want to end it in this way, you know, as a, as a father of, of two daughters, uh, you know, I almost feel a little bit sorry for them that the world is so much different to the one that we grew up in. That does feel like there's a lot more stresses and strains. And as you said, the research is there to show that anxiety is on the rise, suicidal thoughts are on the rise, suicides are on the rise, and, and that's all absolutely heartbreaking. So, um, you know, we shouldn't necessarily, in fact, we shouldn't at all see this as a, a sign of weakness from our, our parents that we don't know what we're doing. We require different tools for a different time. Um, and I think that's where you and your work is so important and can and really give people the, the framework that they need to support their, their children as well and help them to be successful, but successful in the way, in the true meaning of the word, not successful yeah. because they have that job at that university and that placement. Yeah. Can I, can I say one more thing that might give people hope? Of course hope? you can. Yeah, of course. When, um, because I think people are worried about their girls. They're worried about their daughters because of everything you just said. Mm -hmm. But what I've, what I've found after running camps for 30 years and weekend retreats for 30 years is when I get a girl to come to camp, for instance, this summer for a week, uh, and they bring all their baggage with them and their all their stuff, once they're in a safe environment where they get a chance to talk about some of the stuff and unload some of it and get support – and to know, like you said earlier, that I'm not the only one, mm -hmm. that, I, that there's a lot of people who understand all this. When they get in that kind of environment, it doesn't take like six years. And by the way, these are just normal girls. These aren't like troubled girls or mm. depressed girls. They're just girls. But when they get in a safe environment where they can kind of be real and be vulnerable and, and, and learn all these skills, they relax and then they're, they're just fine. They're just mm fine they're happy they're running around they can be their their true selves they can they don't care about being judged and then you see the best version of them it doesn't take much it just takes a safe environment that's beautiful i love that well i mean that that is a great way to end it i mean especially as uh with everything you've got there you can help people to create that safe environment and show people how to do that and how to facilitate that so i absolutely love it dr tim thank you so much for your time it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure i've I've absolutely learned a lot. So I'm sure there are many members of our audience now who are frantically scribbling away or on their iPads or however it is that they're taking notes these days. So, but, but thank you so much. And, and as I said, I, I urge people to do get in contact. I think it'll be a, a very powerful and productive thing that you could do for you and especially for your daughters. So um, until next time, take care of yourselves. This is Billionaires in Boxes. 
attracting our tribe with our vibe.